Good morning and welcome to the November 2021 ADM Farm Direct Fertilizer Report. This monthly conversation is intended to help you stay on top of global fertilizer prices and buy in bulk at the most opportune time. I am your host, Zach Jans, and today we got a whole list of people we're going to have on the docket here today. We'll start with BK Morris. He's going to give a great update on what the fertilizer world's doing. BK, are you available to start BK then? BK with Fertilizer Week and CRU. I'm going to give you a very international flavor this morning to sort of tell you where we think things are going with the Chinese export reduction and production reduction, and also speculation about just how far the Russians intend to go or not go with their announced reduction. Here's what we're seeing on the nitrogen side broadly. The Chinese export barriers means they're out of the market, and the strong Indian demand that they've been supporting is still there. We uh, have supply concerns, have eased substantially, actually, in the U.S. after the damage done by Hurricane Ida. And despite everything else, import volumes for urea and UAN have been very strong. The U.S. S&D is just plain more comfortable. U.S. prices for nitrogen, that is, are probably going to continue to be disjointed versus the uh, international market. And the best way to view that in the broadest of terms is noting that we trail non-U.S. market in terms of returns available to the Middle East by uh, over $100, basically about $130 per metric ton. So the urea we're going to get, other than some program tons from Oman and from Saudi and Qatar, are likely to be coming from Africa and Russia. On the phosphate side, the same issue that's tightening the supply of phosphate to the rest of the world is the Chinese curtailment. And just to emphasize this, that curtailment that they're talking about in China is very real. It's driven by uh, energy tightness over there. And while they are confident they can provide fertilizer for their own demand, they also want to be confident that they are providing enough energy for heating over the winter. So as a result, our expectation is that Chinese urea and phosphate exports will not return to normal levels, if you like, until June of 2022. And in the case of phosphates, that's a 25% reduction. Uh, in the global export supply that's out there. That's sort of a bigger issue on DAP and urea. When it comes to urea pricing international, we've already talked about how we are far below returns available to the Middle East. I would point out that if you look at the CFR price into the U.S. Gulf versus the CFR price uh, into Brazil, we are actually pretty much neck and neck right now. So for those tons that are out there that are better off coming to the U.S. rather than going to India, we're actually in, in a very competitive position. We're not massively concerned about the shortage there. Having said that, of course, the high prices that are being paid currently are a big part of that reason. In terms of the phosphate side, we are trailing the Brazil market by about $10 for MAP. That's not a huge number, but it does mean I don't have any expectation for a decline in U.S. prices versus the rest of the world. Again, probably through June of next year when the Chinese exports come back. Could they come back sooner? Sure. Are they going to come back in time for the U.S. spring? Almost certainly not is our expectation for now. How will the rest of the world fill this gap from the uh, Chinese curtailments? Well, Modern still faces technical problems. The new uh, Saudi plant, that's been the new Saudi plant for a couple of years now, it seems like. We don't have much optimism that they'll be able to raise their production rates to the expected capacity until, again, the first half of 2022. Russia has some limited export capacity that they could kick in. Probably the most positive news on a global basis for phosphates is that Fosagro 
will add asset and map production in 2022. And that should start coming online uh, in the second half of next year. Obviously, that's not coming here due to the countervailing duties, but it'll certainly help rebalance the global market. And, you know, as these things work their way around the world, it should make things a lot more stable. On the potash side, obviously, we get the vast majority of our product from Canada. There are no significant problems there. They have come back with production to replace the problems at Esterhazy very rapidly. And I think that explains why we are actually substantially cheaper than the price into Brazil is about $50 higher than the price at the U.S. Gulf for potash. So while, again, the price is high, the benefit of that is that we are well supplied. In terms of what we've seen for U.S. imports, I'll go over it again. DAP imports to the U.S. are higher January to September than a year ago. U.S. MAP imports are neat. But when you measure NP, NPS imports for the U.S. over not just to last year, but all the way back to 2017, current expectations are actually relatively flat. In other words, our import overall of NPS products should be uh, in line with expectations. So that's shorter and faster than I usually do. But I thought it would be better if since we're coming into a holiday, just isn't as much activity in the U.S. market. So I would thought I would uh, simply leave it at that. I'll be happy to take questions. Awesome. Thanks, BK, for that wrap-up. Instead of going to Jake right away, we're going to go back to Brian Henry. Again, Brian's with ADMBQCI. Brian, are you with us to give us a, a grain update and try to figure out how to decipher you know, higher fertilizer costs? Are we going to get any opportunities to sell some better prices on grain here? As Zach had mentioned, I do manage Benson Quinn Commodities. That's an introducing broker through ADMIS. We are owned by ADM and work out of the uh, Minneapolis office with many of these fine folks. In terms of the markets, we've seen an awful lot of everything here over the course of the last couple of months, for that matter, over the course of the last year. Touch on corn first, and it just feels like, in terms of the old crop corn, it just feels like the market's got a nice base of support here. The domestic piece remains intact. Expect ethanol margins to remain quite good here. That's kind of a Robin Peter to pay Paul type of situation because part of that has to do with relatively strong energy prices and uh, those strong energy prices are part of the influence on the input concerns here going forward. However, from a standpoint of old crop values, it sure feels like they don't have a lot of downside in front of them. That said, the funds do carry significant long positions. And the funds may turn around and uh, sell some of this position, if for no other reason, to kind of clean things up ahead of the uh, new year. Part of the reason corn's at the values it's at are the prospects of better export demand. And I believe that demand's out there, though over the course of the last couple of months, we haven't seen real good export demand. Early on, there was a nice pull from China. There was a nice, really nice pull from Canada. And I expect the Chinese pull comes back here after the first of the year. And I believe the Canadian pull for corn is going to be with us for quite some time. The part I'm not sure of, and the part I believe is the uh, wild card, is I'm not entirely sure how well the rest of the Pacrium countries are covered from a corn standpoint. If you look not just at futures, but look at cash, there's definitely an advantage to buying corn for folks that need to use corn in the feed ration or what have you. 
that said, it's by no means cheap at this point. So we always have to be a little bit cautious of markets correcting in a quick manner. I go back to the law of large numbers. And even a relatively small percentage move is awfully, awfully significant here. Looking toward the new crop, what I hear is an awful lot of people getting field prep work done. I presume most of that's come to completion at this point. For next year, I do get the impression that a lot of people went out and purchased inputs. I do think that the economics for beans are still going to look better than corn when we come into the spring, and where the USDA essentially has old crop ending stocks at $1.5 billion, with the demand we're seeing right now, I think you could make a case that old crop ending stocks come in at $1.25. And for that matter, at that point, you very likely argue for an increase in corn acreage, which I'm just not sure is out there at this point. When we get into the 22-23 marketing year, I think you'd be arguing that we probably need an increase in corn acres. And at current values on the base of 22, I'm just not sure that economically works in that manner. So to answer uh, part of Zach's question there, I do think there'll be opportunities to market corn at a little bit higher value than this. That said, If you are spending the type of money people are spending on some of these inputs, I don't think it's a bad idea to put the pencil to paper and lay off some of that exposure for the fact that high prices typically are the cure for high prices. In addition to that, we will eventually get into South American production. Now, keep in mind, the bulk of South American corn production comes in on the second crop planted in Brazil. But you could look at that story, and it's not out of line to believe that South American corn production year over year could be up 30 million metric ton, even more. So uh, if you're in the camp that they're going to improve what they've done from last year on production, which was a pretty significant failure in Brazil, then, of course, the potential to the upside is limited to some extent. I'm still in the camp, hands in my pocket, waiting for this corn piece to kind of come together. The first key I'm going to look for is whether or not we see the export demand that's helped us get to this level materialize once again. And the second piece is going to be what do we find out of South America initially on beans and early corn for Brazil, corn for Argentina, and then ultimately the big stick is very likely going to be the corn production for the second crop of corn, the safrina crop of Brazil. And to put that in perspective, with Brazil's failure uh, last year in raising a crop, that really kind of opened up what I estimate to be about a 600 million bushel hole in global corn that would be available for export. So that's where I have hopes on old crop for uh, this year in terms of corn. But again, go back to the law of large numbers and the fact that we have to mind our P's and Q's on this type of stuff. Because with the money that's required in agriculture anymore, if you mess it up, there isn't a whole lot of ways to recover. From a bean standpoint, bean market, very, very firm right now. A lot of that, I believe, is domestically driven. With the soy meal having done a missile shot here over the course of the last uh, really only three or four days, 
I'm looking at a situation here right now where I've probably got to put some focus on what the U.S. is allowed to sell ahead of Brazil putting out an offer. One of the things that did soften up the bean market was China coming in and starting to buy fairly significant amounts of beans for uh, late decent and through January. And that isn't that common. But with these prices, the Brazilian exporter was able to get what feels like the balance of their old crop beans bought. And they have confidence in being able to execute that type of activity. Over the course of the last couple of days, maybe last week, we've started to see a little more interest from China. And I'm not entirely sure we're going to be able to do the amount of exports the USDA believes we'll be able to do at this point. So we might get in a pocket where the domestic demand remains pretty firm, but from a global demand, we're always on the cusp of potentially increasing uh, soybean ending stocks for next year. In addition to that, or the reason I'm probably leaning a little less supportive beans is I do believe there's an increase in bean acreage ahead of us next year. The economics on it right now would indicate that's the case. However, those economics do have the potential of changing here uh, over the course of the next four or five months. The other factor that makes me want to lean a little bit negative beans at this point, and I've made a pact with myself that for the most part, I just don't go short beans. Once in a while, I'll go long beans, but I don't go short beans because if you're wrong, it's awful. But from a production standpoint, the big stick on beans will be Brazil and their earliest crop of beans. And right now, I think the USDA has got them at the 144, 145 potential 8, 9 million metric ton increase from the prior year. And frankly, with the way the weather is setting up right now, and it's early, it feels like the potential to be bigger than that is there. So uh, I do think from a hedge standpoint, from at times outright sales standpoint, If your intent is to plant more beans, and I doubt that's been decided entirely, if your intent is to plant more beans, I do think there's some spots in here where people should be either locking hedges on HTAs or uh, in some instances just like going out and getting some cash sales on. What would I look at for downside in beans? Uh, Right now, I'd have to say it's limited simply because I believe that energy component reduces the risk of either corn or beans sliding back to normal. However, if at one point or another the energy component fails, I think you could be a 1150 to 1175 on old crop beans and probably 11 to 11 and a quarter on new crop beans without some type of issue in uh, South America. And then by the time we get to the point where we're looking at what could be potentially planted in the U.S., you start picking up a significant amount of acres. And uh, where you look at current ending stocks, right now USDA's got them at 340, probably going to 380, maybe 400 million. You start picking up a bunch of acres on beans for next year. You could be arguing for a 500 plus million bushel ending stocks number. And if that takes place, there's no reason to be above 11 bucks energy component or not. Just touch on wheat here a little bit. That is one fickle market. 
Looks like there's awfully good opportunities to get some hardwood winter wheat sold. And looks like the potential for that crop is pretty fair at this point. From a standpoint of spring wheat, in terms of old, it looks a little pricey at this point and probably argues for some more demand. But it just doesn't feel like it's got a lot of room to break here to the downside. So I'll leave it at that, Zach. I hope at least some of that made sense. Yeah, Brian, I think it did. It's just we're trying to paint this picture. Everybody's trying to digest this information as we go into the the last six weeks of the year here, and a lot of decisions start to get made. We're just trying to figure out, I guess, Jake, what recommendations can you give us on fertility and what direction should we be looking at going forward from an MPKS standpoint? This is a tough one, Zach, as you guys know, because we're at such high prices. And I think to paint the picture, this is what I go through to figure out how I want to position us here at ADM for the spring season. So when I look at where DAP is selling out on a CFR basis globally, one of the most recent trades was into Pakistan, and it was out of Morocco. It was Moroccan DAP to Pakistan, and that freight, we know what that freight is, but that's an FOB number. Morocco sold $900 a ton FOB. When you add in the vessel freight, now keep in mind this vessel freight that I'm using is the cheaper vessel freight compared to where we have been, but let's just call it $25 in vessel freight, which is below the current market. That's an 839 U.S. short ton delivered to the NOLA, to the New Orleans Gulf location. So today we're trading at 735 on NOLA, maybe 750 depending on where the number's at on a DAP basis. It's in the $100 a ton discount to the global market price that the globe is paying for fertilizer. And here's the thing that's also really tough to figure out, Zach, is fourth quarter is the time when usually us here at ADM, we're, we're being begged to take cargoes. People are positioning. They're trying to manage liquidity through the winter months. That's not the case this year. What BK touched on, and I, I want everyone to understand the big change this year that's going to drive a lot of the answers to your questions. China, as an exporter, is out of the market. And if they remain out of the market, which it's our belief they are, then that has taken off a lot of global supply, both on the phosphate side as well as on the urea side. That is why the globe is buying the tons that normally would get long in the Western Hemisphere and taking them into the Eastern Hemisphere where their markets are starting to prep and stage for their seasons. We're seeing cargoes from Mexico go to Australia, cargoes from Tampa go to Australia, cargoes from Morocco go to Australia, that they're heading into high season, into the Asian island markets, which would normally all be served out of China, and usually you'd have a lot of that Chinese supply headed to Australia as well. That is essentially changed the liquidity picture for producers and allowed them to get a longer sales book on than what they normally would have, which is where we would normally find downward pressure during this time of year, which usually spurs the buying activity that we're all looking for. Whether it's urea or whether it's DAP, the liquidity picture is much different this year. The other thing we have to take into account when we think about nitrogen specifically, and and we can't forget it, all of the downtime that occurred during June, July, August, September at these big nitrogen facilities, that's nitrogen molecules that normally would be produced in storage somewhere in the United States in the form of urea or ammonia and ready to be sold for this spring season or for the fall application season. That's not there. Inventories are lower here in the United States. We're having less imports come in because of the potential duty restrictions on UAN. And so even on the nitrogen front, we still see a tightness in supply. Now, 
Nowhere in here are we calling for shorting. The market has time to balance it, but it's going to be at a price. We are going to have to go above world replacement prices to call on the tons necessary here to balance the demand for the season that will be coming. The other way to balance the demand is that we just outright don't apply it. I'm sure a lot of you are going through those questions and thought process too. How much do I reduce back? How much do I cut back and abdicate? I'm not going to pretend that I know what you will do, and nor will I go out there and, and speak to that. But I will say that we are factoring in some demand destruction in our models as we try and calculate what we think will happen for the spring. And with that being said, and you see we're trading discount to the world, we're maintaining a long position on urea, on phosphate, on potash, just because we're trading discount to the world and we know there is some liquidity still coming at us. Zach, that's my recommendation. If, if you don't have coverage for the spring, a lot of folks will think that it's better to wait. And what we're seeing on the liquidity front, the global front, and the move that we need to see prices go up to call on tons here into the United States, I don't agree with the decision to wait and get your inputs locked in. If you can't make money buying your inputs, then yes, you shouldn't do that. That's not the recommendation here. But waiting and hope is not a strategy and never has been. So that's kind of my recommendation. The one sleeper product that I want to call out on attention to is when you look at ammonium sulfate and consider the value of nitrogen in it and the value of sulfur, it still remains undervalued relative to the other commodities. I expect that product to have more upside as we move towards the spring season. And again, if you haven't locked in your AMS, that one still feels like a good opportunity to lock in your AMS for the spring. I want to touch on one of your comments you made and just to kind of ask you a broad question. As we look at this picture going into Q1 into Q2, which would be our spring season in the United States, is it fair to say that it's not necessarily going to be a product issue, more or less a logistics issue, if we continue to see kind of the quote-unquote can get kicked down the road from locking in inputs or locking in pricing on this product? Is it a fair I, assumption to say that, that logistics is going to be probably the driver in a lot of this? Yes. Out of our mouths, you're not going to hear us there's a shortage we are going to tell you that it's going to be tight and there's going to be logistics issues but at a price there will be the ability to get fertilizer here to the united states sufficient for the corn crop that we're forecasting to be grown i find it irresponsible for people to run around and say that there's a shortage at this point in time there's tightness and there's low inventories but the plants are producing and they are running so if there's further downtime then I could be wrong in that statement, and that's something we have to continue to monitor. Jake, I also want to touch on one other point, ask you a question regarding plant downtime. Can you just give the audience just a rough idea of what downtime truly means from a tonnage idea? I know we've talked about it very briefly, but I think it'd be a good thing to kind of lay out the amount of tons in the downtime that's been talked about. So here's an example. I'm going to get these wrong by a couple hundred thousand tons. <laughs> So it's a rounding area here, but pick on one of these big plants in the middle of the United States, and they're producing, call it 1.5 million tons of urea annually. So you divide that by 12 months, and they're producing 125,000 tons a month. And some of them went down for three, four months. So that takes a lot of urea out of the market. Keep in mind, some of that was in the form of ammonia. Some of that was in the form of UAN. So to put it in perspective, every time one of these plants goes down, that's like two to three cargoes not showing up here into the United States. Now, there are some smaller plants in the U.S., and they matter, obviously, in balancing the supply. They may not have as big an impact. But the plants that were down this year were the big plants. 
and there were a lot of them were down with the turnaround. So something we continue to monitor. I appreciate that. I just kind of wanted to try to paint somewhat of a picture from the tonnage that we're talking about here. It isn't just a couple thousand tons here. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of tons that didn't really hit the market for that matter for that time frame. Producers, in their efforts to try and catch up on some of this, and they're behind not only on urea and UAN to some extent, but also DEF, have been upgrading as fast as they can. And that's part of the reason why we've got such high ammonia costs in the U.S. versus the rest of the world. We're number one, nothing to cheer about on ammonia costs. That's part of the knock-on effect of the reduced import availability for the non-ammonia products. BK, that's an important point to bring up, and I know that all of us can do the natural gas price look up here in the United States, look at it and say, well, these producers, they could produce it for a lot cheaper price, it's going to come down, I should wait. you really got to look at it on a global basis, Europe still being one of those high-priced locations. And yeah, the plants are running again, but there has been shutdowns, and we are headed into the winter months, so that's the wild card that could continue to drive this nitrogen market up further from where we're at today. Am I saying that you should expect it? Not necessarily, but I am saying, look where we're at relative to the global price. We still have upside from there. That's why my recommendation is leaning towards getting self-covered for the spring. Thanks a lot, Jake. Thanks a lot, BK. And thanks a lot, Brian, for going through that update for us uh, this month. I'm going to put a wrap on this, but after the wrap, we'll definitely be on for questions. But that is a wrap for the ADM Farm Direct Fertilizer Report for November 2021. Please join us for our next report on December 15th of 2021. Until then, if you'd like to learn more about ADM Fertilizer, please go to admadvantage.com slash fertilizer. And again, we want to thank you for your business. We realize it's been a challenging time to market grain and buy fertilizer. So we do want to, again, thank you for all your business that you've done with ADM here in the past year. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again next month. But we'll definitely be on for questions here. Yeah, good morning. You've been talking about all of these shutdowns around the U.S. and around the world on nitrogen production facilities. Uh, what drove the uh, reason to shut all of these down in a normal normal year where they'd be running? I realize that maintenance is an issue, but I have to question why would they shut down when they know they have all this demand coming going forward? Good question, caller. What I would say is they'd announced these plans and turnaround shutdowns well prior to any run-up in price. It's definitely not a conspiracy theory on part of the producers. If you recall back in 2020, COVID restrictions were much greater. And to bring in a maintenance plant, it was looked at as a potential risk and exposure. So a lot of these producers made the decision to push turnarounds into 2022. And they didn't take the bigger turnarounds that they normally would have on an annual basis that would have been shorter. So that therein was one of the reasons why you had most of these plants take turnarounds in 2022 because they minimized and decreased or didn't do turnarounds and shutdowns in 2021 in an effort to not bring in maintenance crews and risk COVID exposure. So that was the real reason why they were longer turnarounds and bigger turnarounds. Now, the reason they didn't come up is they had continued maintenance issues. I can speak on behalf of some of them. There were some really big problems they ran into when they did the turnaround. One of them had to fly a boiler in on a 737 into Nebraska then to take it to the plant because the boiler failed and they couldn't get the plant started up. Those are all high dollar, out of the question situations that they normally don't plan for. And the reason they did that is because the economics pay for it to do so. Every day they were down, they were missing making money, even at the prices we were at four months ago. And that's not near the run-up we have today. You know, two, three months ago, you could have taken two, $300 off the price of all nitrogen products. 
and they were still trying to get up and run. They just had to finish the necessary turnarounds that they had. Now, beyond that, that's what they've shared publicly and, and what we know. But they missed money every day they didn't run. All right. Well, I, I was just curious. It, it sounds suspect to me. No. It's a fair, fair question. Fair question. Very, very fair question. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Anybody uh, else have you. any questions? True to say that they're up and running now? Yes, it is true to say they're capacity? up and running now. Yeah. To our knowledge, yeah. BK, have you heard anything different on that that they've announced? No, we don't have anything new this week. The only plant that remains a question mark as to how well it's running remains Mosaic's Faustina ammonia plant, simply because they haven't addressed it 100% in the public. In public. So yeah, the two global plants I know of that were having a little bit of production issues were, were over in Saudi Arabia. They had their ammonia plant fire, which that one's now, I believe, up and they're running again from that, but then they've struggled to get up to full rate on their new expansion. There are some issues there with the rock quality, but again, they are running again. So even on a global basis, I'm not aware of plants being shut down other than those European plants that were not making money during the gas spike for a period of time. I have a couple of questions regarding UAN. Uh, how does the supply of UAN look going into spring? My opinion on UAN is that it's probably going to run tight, and that's a product that we could run out of. Now, why I'm not saying there's going to be shortages on fertilizers is because there should be sufficient urea in place to balance that. But if I were a typical Iowa, Illinois, Indiana farmer that usually uses UAN, I would ensure that you have your supply locked up. And I think that what you're going to find is some of your top dress supply could come in the form of urea. And that's what, what you think it's going to take to balance the market. I guess I should have mentioned one from Saskatchewan, eh? so I was just wondering... Yeah, like bars, Canadian supply goes. So here's an interesting one on Canada, too, and it's solving for that total nitrogen molecule. And it matters a lot even to our, our friends here in the States and to Canada. So normally Canada is exporting about a million tons of urea into the United States because it's a net exporter of that urea product. What you're seeing is Yarabel Plain for a little while has struggled on running. They've struggled on availability. And we're seeing a little bit of tightness on UAN up there, as well as some tightness on the urea. We're now seeing normal Canadian buyers looking to the United States to bring tons from the New Orleans market into Canada, which tells me that market is running tight. And so same thing there. The liquid's available. There's liquid there available to be purchased today. It is tighter in supply because of some of the turnarounds they took. And so the inventories were not as large. So, I, again, I think that what you may be challenged to do is have to switch even up there to urea to balance out your nitrogen equation. Okay. And one more question, if you don't mind. I know everybody's talking about high natural gas prices and stuff for fertilizer. I was under impression or been told in the past that don't worry about gas because we got long-term supply agreements. So what happened this time? Like, I mean, is the gas not locked in and five 10-year contracts that shouldn't possibly affect the price that much or is it just the demand yeah that's a good question and i'll admit i'm at the edge of the diving board relative to my knowledge or maybe the deep end of the pool rather i'm not a gas trader and i don't know what these plants would have locked in at what i do know is when you looked at forward strip natural gas to go lock it in and lock in your margin you were paying a premium relative to what they are paying on a day-to-day -day basis because they were getting offered discounts because natural gas had been so long here in the United States. So it didn't behoove producers, at least in the States, to go lock in 
natural gas and five and 10 year supply contracts because the price on the board was higher than what they were paying. And so think about it from like a grain perspective, they were getting a discount on the basis and were buying it cheaper than what they could have done in a forward contract. Now, that's not really the issue though on a global basis. The issue is in Europe. And I don't know what those producers do, but the European gas price is the one that really spiked. And that's the one that we're keeping an eye on. So why does that matter to a guy in Saskatchewan or a guy in the middle of Iowa? It's because we are competing globally to balance nitrogen. And we're competing against the five other major consumption markets. We're competing against India, Brazil, Europe, and China as well. China's taken themselves out of the game for competition and said, we're just going to keep our own. We got enough. We'll keep our own. We're out. The rest of us are now bidding up the prices to try and balance that out. The European producers could not make money a month and a half ago at the gas prices, why they spiked. So the ones that shut down were definitely ones that didn't have long-term contracts. And not all of them operate with long-term contracts. The ones that did, that may be the reason why they continued to run. But it's a great question. I don't know why they don't do it, but it's a good question. Thanks for just some commentary there I wanted to give to hopefully add some color to what we're seeing around us. What's your feelings on humics and fulvric acids? Do you guys get into those at all? I'm just asking what's your opinion on them and stuff like that. Boy, that's a great question. I was looking to see if Greg Whitehead happened to be on this call this morning or not. He would be kind of that resident expert. The only reason why I ask that question is there's a lot of stuff being said out there that you don't even have to need some of this fertilizer if you got you making fulvrics down instead. But the way the fertilizer prices is, you can get by a year or two without it. That's why I'm asking this question. What they think the fulvric acids and humic acids are going to do. I think we owe you a follow-up on that. I promise by next call, we'll have a better person on here to comment about the humic and the folic acid. There's a lot of things out there, though, that I think a grower can look at. And one that I would come back to, I feel confident about, that's proven with university research is on our nitrogen, are you using a nitrogen stabilizer? That right there is going to help you with the efficiency use of your fertilizer. So as you look to balance your budget and consider the usage potential, or the increased efficiency of the fertilizer, that may be a way to help you. I know that a lot of people will kick me if I'm suggesting that you would apply less by using a nitrogen stabler, and I'm not really suggesting that, but at least you'll be capturing all the value of the fertilizer you're putting down by using that nitrogen stabilizer, and that's backed up by university research. On the humic front and the acid front, we're hesitant to dip into that because there's a lot of different opinions out there. And there's not as much yet university data. So we'll try and bring to you some of the data to share with you because we don't want to get into that area of selling something that we don't know anything about. Another option out there is our sugars as well. And that's an option to help bump up yields. And those are available out there. ADM does have a product like that. But those are all things that we're working with universities to try and to prove so that we can be a little bit more forthwith with that data and how it might help affect the crop. Now, we definitely uh, will definitely deserve a follow-up on that. And I got a note down in your phone number. We'll definitely reach out to you. So I appreciate that. I have one more question. To touch briefly on ammonium sulfate, what about ammonium thiosulfate? What is the supply situation and or availability? Is it along the lines of UAN or... Related to UAN, or how should we yeah. think about getting our ATS? 
So ATS has been one of those one of those products that's been very 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 hard to come by from a pricing standpoint. I talked to a buyer of ATS yesterday. It, their main concern was that they're not getting offered any of the cost structure at this point. You know, there's ammonia that goes into making ATS, and and they can't lock in a long term price. They're kind of going week by week, and so they don't really know where their costs are. To be honest with you, on ATS, is there some out there for sale? Yeah, there is. In certain marketplaces, there is ATS for sale. From what I can gather, it's somewhere in that between four and five hundred dollars a ton. But it's been very, very difficult to find, and it's been very difficult to get any sort of tonnage out of anybody, any producer. They've been very close to the vest, and and a lot of it had to do with last year's cold stretch. The position they were in, they're having to shut down, and they just got to be the point where it was uncomfortably oversold. And then supplying that ATS to the marketplace is very, very hard to do last year. And so, yeah, I mean, it feels like that market's tight today. Uh, I'm not going to deny that. I think as we get into December and January, I, I think we'll come out with some sort of number that we're going to get from the producers themselves and hopefully have that supply for you for the spring season. Thank you. I know it's kind of a crystal ball looking thing, but I mean, does this look to be a long-term issue as in multiple years with fertilizer or do I think uh, demand destruction and stuff that, you know, fertilizer comes back for the 2023 season. Are we looking for like multiple years of this? So it's one I definitely was thinking about last night and this morning. I, I saw an article that a company posted about Europe reducing fertilizer rates or having a goal to reduce fertilizer rates by 20% in the next six to seven years. Good question. And I don't know if I have an answer to that. What I will say is that the biggest driver to the global market being tied as the lack of Chinese exports. We know for a fact that China comes back to the market in June. What we don't know is will they again, when we get to September, October, still be running on low inventory, that they'll go out of the market again. If that's the case, then what we'll probably see is a pretty big yo-yo effect of some opportunity to buy some tons out of China for the globe. We'll see prices correct, and then we'd see it go back up again. And when China disappears from the market, we're we're discovering that the moves can be quite volatile. I'm not at a point where I'd be comfortable giving a recommendation for the fall and say, hey, you need to start looking to book next fall. That is not at all where we're at, nor would I, I feel good about that recommendation. I do think there'll be some correction in prices, but it's likely after we get into the planning season in Brazil in that May, June, July timeframe when we see how the U.S. does and how Brazil does on a consumption of fertilizer. Okay, thank you. BK, any rebuttal to that or any other thoughts? Do you see anything differently out there? The short answer is no. We know the Chinese, as you say, are coming back in June. Yeah, I guess the other well, person could reasonably ask, is it possible they'll come back a little sooner? Well, if that's the case, we're probably talking days or weeks, not, not months. <laughs> the will it repeat the following year? Again, if they can't sure up their energy position to meet their other needs, then yes, it could definitely happen the following year. As I noted in the call earlier, there are 23 or 25% of global export availability on phosphates. It's hard to get around that. <laughs> so again, I certainly agree one wouldn't want to go long for the fall 2023 because who knows what will, what will change by then. But uh, it's certainly, uh, I think, something that's going to be there both on the urea and the phosphate side. The impact, it seems to me, has been bigger 
so far on the urea side, uh, most of the urea capacity, you know, runs year-round, runs well. You don't get market-related curtailments, although that's unlikely for any product right about now. So that when we see uh, the high prices there and when we see what the rest of the world is paying, the, you know, that reflects very much on anticipating the Chinese situation. So I can't give you a positive outlook. And so CF's call for Q3, you know, three months prior to that, they had said, well, they expect the extreme tightness to be an issue for 2022 calendar. And by that, I interpreted it to mean certainly through the spring of next year, and it may or may not affect the fall. This last call, they said they thought it would be an issue for 2023 as well. So take that for what it's worth. Thank you. Anybody else have any more questions? I tell you what, if not, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for the questions, and thank you for joining our call today. And again, want to thank you for doing business with ADM here over the last year. With that, we'll be ending our call. Thanks a lot, everybody. Thank you.